Hello, thank you for joining us once again. My name is Matt Phillips and you listen to One Chat Live, episode 13. So this is a Run Beyond special. Um, I was live talking to two very special people um, from Nairobi um, in Kenya. Uh, Mr. George Parks, who is the director of Run Beyond, um, the company who I went out to help set up the Gate Lab um, and uh, provide some workshops for the staff working there. Um, and also George is uh, accompanied by Mr. Jimmy Simba Botar, who basically I was so excited to see again after meeting him in Kenya. He's one of the godfathers of Kenyan uh, running Um those of you familiar with historical runners like Abel Kiprop, Moses Kiptanui, uh, Daniel Komen, yeah, this guy coached them. Um, in his time, which we're talking about 30 plus years of coaching, he's produced, um, if I remember rightly, eight World Championship medals, three Olympic medals, um, as well as Commonwealth Games medals. Um, he's a, an absolutely inspirational guy to listen to in real life and i hope some of that comes across in the words of wisdom he provides on this podcast and um, talking of podcasts um i hope you've managed to find us now everywhere itunes stitcher um podbean is where we're hosted uh, spotify we're everywhere so if you do find us do please share comment um, it's the way that we manage to keep this all going anyway i will leave you with the run beyond special live from kenya um, enjoy. Okay, right. Good morning. Uh, welcome to another episode of Run Chat Live. Um, my name is Matt Phillips. For those of you who haven't tuned in with us before, and um, I am here in the wonderful Studio Fifty Seven Clinic. And Stride UK located in uh, Hove in, on the south coast of England. Um, so if you haven't seen this before, then basically um, our mission statement is to bring evidence, to put some evidence back into the often erroneous misconceptions and, and just plain mistakes um, associated with running injury and running performance. So um, this podcast, this podcast may be a podcast one day, this web chat is for therapists and runners uh, who want to kind of help clarify um, some of the misconceptions in our industry. And in doing so, I try and bring on some special guests, um, experts in the field, people from the world of running and personal training and coaching and strength and conditioning um, to help um, give them a chance to um, share their experiences with you guys watching. So I'm very excited about this morning's um, guests. We've got two for you. Um, and they are going to be live from Kenya, uh, Nairobi. And we've got James Parks, who is uh, the founder and director of Run Beyond, uh, who's the company who I had the pleasure of going out and working with um, in helping set up the gate analysis they're going to be offering. Uh, plus, they're going to be doing footwear and coaching, um, strength and conditioning, all sorts of wonderful stuff. And on, also with um, uh, Jeff, we're going to have um, legendary elite Kenyan distance running coach. Um, Jimmy Simba Bota, or Coach Simba, as we call him, um, uh, who I'm very much looking forward to. Um, if you haven't heard of him, then um, Google him. Um, he's all over. Basically, he's one of the two or three Kenyan coaches who um, are the godfathers of the distance um, elites. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to bring these guys in um, and say good morning to them. So let's bring them in now. Gentlemen, good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning, Matt. Can you hear me okay? You call me George. <laughs> oh, so it's too official. I always start yeah. off being really formal, but you'll notice <laughs> as time goes on, it'll be getting very informal. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. I just gave you a little bit of an intro. Um, how are things? Tell us where you're from, as in where are you now at this moment in time? Where are we now? Um, you're, oh, is it Lina Cave? You've got an echo? I haven't got an echo on my end. Perfect. Um, we're, we're in the what is to become Run Beyond, uh, the first specialist running shop in Kenya. You can probably see it from the ceiling uh, and the scaffolding in the background. We're not quite... We're not quite there yet, uh, but hopefully come, come mid-jam, we'll, uh, we'll be up and running. Fantastic. Oh, I look forward to that. Um, so basically, yeah, people may have read my blog. I mean, I had the pleasure and the honour of you inviting me over to, to Nairobi and Kenya, and we had some great times over there um, with um, going out and running in the Karura. Is it Karura Forest? Yeah, that's right. Karura. Yes, yeah, Karura Forest, which was just exceptional um and i met some wonderful people and i myself um had some total misconceptions about um kenya and nairobi and east africa and just africa in general cleared up wonderfully um so and in karua forest i remember i mean it was just exceptional for you guys it was like another day at work just seeing lorna is it lorna kibujat is that her there yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. She was there taking one of her um, elite kind of training camps. Um, but then, of course, we had our own elite coach. We didn't have to worry about getting Lorna in because there we have there. You can just see the mystical figure of Coach Simba taking us for a, a training routine there. So, Coach Simba, if I could turn to you first, if that's OK, check it out. Look at that. So you're telling me that you didn't know that picture was being taken. I didn't know. <laughs> That is fearful. That is fearful. But apparently, you started off in boxing, didn't you? Yes, in karate. My yeah, I, I can believe it. I can believe mm -hmm. it. And is that where the Simba name came from? Simba obviously meaning lion, but is that where the nickname came from? It's a name from my grandfather. Ah, right. When I came. <laughs> easy, easy. Don't let it all go off. Wow. That's, so uh, how, did you, how did you go from boxing to coaching elites? All right. Um, after doing a bit of boxing and karate, then there was uh, music. This was a uh, uh, family uh, talent. And uh, when I thought of getting some punches on my jaws, and singing, that would not go. So I thought of uh, keeping it aside and being a sparring partner. And then after that, with music, you needed a good breathing system. So I started doing road running, keep myself fit for that. And uh, with that, then uh, where I was uh, from the village in Mombasa, then I got some young men who were interested in getting fit. So we started a, a grouping of keeping ourselves fit, running, bodybuilding, and so-so. Fantastic. 
And um, so what what was the first kind of, were you all, because obviously you worked in El Duret for many years, but was that the first place you started training at? Not really. After serving the Navy, I joined Kim McDonald International Management. This is a management that uh, took care of uh, Daniel Komen. All right. And uh, Kip Tanui. And then we had uh, John Kibowan, a three-time gold medalist in the 4K. We had Ben Limo, uh, just to name a few. Well, so Daniel Common, I'm sure a few of the people watching, whether they're live or watching the recording, will be familiar with. So he was 5,000 meter world champion, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah. So you were so you were involved in coaching him? Yes, I was. As a and, and did you did you see his progression then? What are some of the things which you might have seen or changed or worked on or um yes the long strides making them a bit uh, quick in cadency and then uh, strengthening the upper body and psyching uh, up brilliant so it's amazing what what always amazes me is mm. 20 years later we're talking about cadence as if it was something new and technology just because we've got a machine that can go beep 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 you know and count it 20 years mm. ago with a world champion 5000 meters you're already talking about stride length you're already doing that stuff you don't need a machine you know you're talking about strengthening and that sort of stuff so i think it's a good wake-up call um, for a lot of runners to realize that all this flashy this is new brand new stuff it's not new at all you guys were doing it 20 years ago um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So when when was it you actually moved to Eldorex? I think a lot of viewers are probably familiar with the Rift Valley and the kind of champions it's produced. When did you move up there? That was in 2003. 20, 20, 20, and that was um, at the famous, it was uh, one of the training camps set up by the International Athletics Federation, wasn't it? It was one of their hubs. Yes, that was the High Performance Center, IF. It's like a, an academy. Yeah, yeah. Is that the gate yeah. to it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a get to Kip's house. Oh, his house, is it? All oh, right, because he was involved in that, wasn't he? Mm. Initially, people, people aren't familiar with Kip Kaner. He was obviously the 68... Um, Total surprise in the air in the Mexico. We talked about him, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago because some people might not be aware that one. Not only was it amazing that he won and it was such an exciting race, but apparently he'd been diagnosed with gallstones and told not to run um, like prior. I think he'd had a couple of races before that where he'd failed and not won, but he just somehow. I mean, it's very painful. And it was like gallstones will know, um, mm -hmm. and that kind of set the scene for Kenyans being such strong, persistent put up with any sort of pain runners um and we talked about what is it that makes kenyans have such a history have you got any ideas is it nature is it genetics or is it nurture is it because of amazing coaches like you 
What is it that produces so many champions in Kenya, men and women? It all started in through the colony governments. They brought about uh, competing of the counties and the chiefs and the admins and giving people sufurias. You know, sufuria is the cooking pots and blankets as prizes. Uh, that was when uh, the competitive uh, tune came in. And then there was the formation of uh, the Kenya three years in the 50s. And um, it kept it kept growing, it kept growing, and um, people came to like the competitiveness. And then also after that, it became a lifeline right. when competition came about with a lot of rewards. And yeah. so it was for good health and also as a lifeline. And is there is there some genetics there? I mean, because in the in the in the UK, we're always talking about how I've I've read that. I mean, Kenyan runners, for example, they've got skinnier calves. Um, it makes it easier for them to run. Is that overrated or is there some genetic predisposition as well there that favours them? I don't believe that because uh, while I was at uh, the High Performance Centre, we were also taking care of uh, foreign athletes. And I can remember that people came there and improved. All right, that's interesting. For example, there was an athlete from um, Sri Lanka. There was an athlete from Mali, where traditionally uh, they're kind of sprinters. And they brought in uh, one athlete from Mali, a 400-meter runner, and they wanted him to be a 800-meter. He came uh, with the time of 151 when he joined the camp. And uh, after that, he managed to go to 146. And this is not a Kenyan. This is uh, someone from Mali. And then the other guy from the other athlete from Sri Lanka, well, he came uh, with 345. After going through some training, he did 339. So wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's not genetics at all. It's because of people like you. I don't believe in that. Yeah, Just yeah. give me enough and give me time. Wow. Okay, I'll give you a here then, okay, so I want to... <laughs> was that, what was the first bit before give me time? Give me an athlete and give me time? Yeah. Is that what you said? Wow, that's a t-shirt waiting to be made. Give me an athlete and give me time. Coach Simba. Brilliant. I love it. Okay, so that's amazing. Um, yeah, so it's food for thought, definitely. So let's move on to, I mean, obviously the Rift Valley as well in itself um, and the whole area is the high altitude. That makes a difference, does it? Training you in favour of the idea of training at high altitude? Does that help produce champions as well? For long distance? Yeah. Um, the purpose of being at a high altitude, it's uh, as 
we learned from the science that uh, it, it gives you the opportunity of uh, developing red blood cells. And the red blood cells are the transports, transportation of blood and the body. So, uh, and that is uh, something that you need mm. for long running. So, and again, uh, that, that science was there 20 years ago, was it? You were aware that that was why you could produce results or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it never it just does my brain in because it, we all think that I suppose it's every generation thinks that what we read now is is we invented it. You know, it's like uh -huh. people thinking, you know, we invented music. You were playing the drums long before Tommy Lee Jones or not Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. You know, we haven't got time to move into your music um, history, but another time maybe we'll do a music special. Okay. Brilliant. How did but, you meet uh, George then? How did that happen? Uh, meeting George. Yeah. <laughs> He got uh, he got an information from someone, and then he decided to call me. Uh, the, it was fortunate that I was uh, in Nairobi at that time, because after that I was in Mombasa, taking care of a soccer team. <laughs> he, just, he just got promoted. Yeah. yeah. So we met, and we. He gave me the picture of what he's uh, planning to do. Yeah. And I thought, let's get together and see the baby growing. I see the baby growing. Yeah. I I see the baby. <laughs> <laughs> he's quite a persuasive little guy, isn't he? I don't mean little, <laughs> as in, yeah, but he's quite persuasive, isn't he? I remember when I first received an email saying, uh, come to Nairobi, you know, and uh, help us start this business up. And, you know, in the UK, when you get an email saying come to Nairobi or, you know, send us your bank account details, you know, we've got a certain, I don't know, we're a bit cynical. I remember telling some friends going, yeah, I've got this LinkedIn notice from a guy in Nairobi saying, yeah, come over, do this and that. So I was getting all sorts of warnings. But it was eventually when George actually came to UK and I met him face to face, that I realised that um, he wasn't kind of, you know, after my organs or anything. It was actually a really nice chat, which was which was nice. And so, yeah, that no, was amazing. We had some great times over there. So, um, right, thank you, Coach Simba. I'm going to hand you over to George now, um, who's going to tell us um, a little bit about his story. So, George, um, let's wind back a little bit. How did, where were you from originally? Where were you born? I, I'm from Litchfield. From Litchfield. People might have noticed already watching that George isn't a native Kenyan from Nairobi. <laughs> you might have picked up on that fact. But yeah, from Litchfield, how did you end up from Litchfield? Um, in uh, Nairobi? Um, so I first came after university, uh, sort of a, a typical cliched uh, gap year program. We came out and we taught at a, a primary school um, down on the floor of the rift uh, in a place near called Gilgil. Um, so uh, I met my wife uh, at the airport that, when, we, when we arrived back in 2005. Um, and yeah, we spent six months, um, you know, mainly teaching. That that's where we were. Um, also, also running. There wasn't, as you can see, too much around. Not not a lot to do. So, um, uh, you know, we were running four or five times a week, and this was when I was much lighter, much a little little bit fitter than what I am today. Um, and at the end of it, we did the. There's a marathon here called the Labour Downs Marathon, which is up near Mount Kenya uh, in a in a game reserve. 
uh, and I did the floor and I said, look, T, I'll, I'll, you know, she said, how long will you be? I'll be there at the pitch. I said, oh, around three and a half hours. Anyway, quarter, five and a quarter hours, I, I, I come in. <laughs> Absolutely dead. Um, and, you know, this was before we could afford the Garmin or anything like that. So we'd had no, no idea how far or how fast we'd been running. And we'd clearly been running a lot, lot shorter and a lot uh, slower than, than I thought. Um, but then went back home and, uh, yeah, started running PBs. Uh, the, the difference was was incredible. Yeah, I, uh, I, went, I noticed the the, the altitude. I remember you saying when we went to Karua Forest, and it was like, Matt, be prepared because you know, even though we're running this tempo, it, you might feel like on the lungs. I was like, yeah, I've heard all about it, but yeah, I was like draining. I was sucking in air. It makes a big difference out there. It's the hills. It's when you hit the altitude. I find it really, you know, on the flat you can sort of you're okay, but when you start coach coach sent us up to do hill training last weekend. Um, you know, when you're on the hills, you really feel that. Um, and yeah, having coming back down after six six months, I went from a, a 123 half to a 119. Um, which yeah, brilliant. Which I, I gave a run for money in the. Do you remember the the Run London events? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't too far behind her, but she was eight months pregnant. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you lost me there. Tell me, talk, um, you sent, I mean, this photo is, just brings a whole new meaning to the idea, where's Wally, it's, where's George, but yeah. where was this, what was this race? Uh, so this, is, this is a Moshi, um, so uh, my, Theresa and I went back to London after Kenya, and then five years later, I got us common out to Tanzania, um, I was working with KPMG at the time, and we've just spent eight years in, in Tanzania, uh, that's the start of the Kilimanjaro marathon up in Moshi. Brilliant, love it. What a great, what a great, great, great photo. Um, and you ended up so before you actually were over there teaching originally, weren't you? Yeah. So, so that yeah, originally two thousand five. This is when we first came out and we volunteered. So this was the the school um, that we were in, a place called Kamathapa. Uh, then uh, we went there back in twenty twelve. Um, I think the next photo is our wedding. We got married at the school. It was it was something of a Oh, fantastic amazing and you got family now there and everything who i've had the pleasure of meeting two lovely so children now, well, i'm glad you said pleasure not, not everyone would say that <laughs> um yeah we've got two boys benji and bobby uh that's been yeah i guess about eight months old uh in amberselli park which is uh, on the border of Kenya and Tanzania, that's yeah. that's where you can see in the background. That's where we went, Matt. But unfortunately, you didn't quite get to see the mountain. I don't think. I did. Well, maybe we'll talk about that experience later yeah. on. I put out. Um, I don't know if you saw on social media. I put out my um, trap by elephants on a skinny bridge, part one, just for yeah. people to have a look at. Uh, but yeah, we'll have a little look. I'm not recording just me breaking myself at home because that that would be a little bit embarrassing. Oh, I do hope we have time to show some of them. Yeah. So, and then, um, and then, yeah. So, where did Run Beyond and the idea of that come from? Um, so, actually, uh, so after before we got married, I, I quit my job and um, started looking at uh, what what else I could do. And I started talking with a guy called Vin Sochieng. Um, he's a he's still a good friend of ours. He he does various running things. Um, he's got a if you Google Runners Point Eaton. Uh, you'll see pictures of uh, of his first store that he set up in in Eton. Uh, uh, he, um, you know, young 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 lad. His dad was a professional cyclist. His brothers were into cycling. 
he got into cycling and running and, and later at university got taught to swim, uh, became the national triathlon champion, um, has been represented Kenya at the Commonwealth Games and in, in duathlon world championships. But he, he started um, uh, an NGO uh, training kids from Kibera, which is where he's from, the, the biggest slum in Nairobi, uh, trying to you know, get them out of, out of poverty for athletics. And he's still doing that. Um, and what we started talking about, probably must have been about 2012, 2013, was um, at the same time, we had a lot of the kids who we taught at the school who, um, you know, it didn't matter how smart they were. They, you know, some of them you know, managed to get through secondary school They managed to get a, probably the best grade was a C plus, which for Kenyan standards, you know, going through the government system is really, really good. But it's just so competitive here. You know, none of the kids that, that we were taught back in 2005 had jobs. So we started looking at uh, what we could do with them. And the initial idea was an altitude training camp, but not in Eton for, for professionals, more around where the school was and more targeted at amateur runners. Um, you know, the idea being close enough to attract people from Nairobi for weekends. Um, yeah, you're closer to the tourist attractions. So have people come out and do training camps, but go to the Masai Mara or climb Mount Kenya or, um, you know, there's, there's Lake Nakuru and Lake Naivasha either, either side. Um, I then got a job, so that kept me busy for another four and a half years. But then um, actually my old boss, I think uh, it must have been about September 2016, said, oh, look, I've, I've got a, uh, a lady who wants to start a running shop in Tanzania. Are you, you know, are you interested in working with her? Um, and so the, the idea sort of morphed into a shop, uh, which, uh, you know, I think there's probably a bit more opportunity for is a bit, bit lower risk. Um, and as a market, Nairobi is a, is a much stronger market. So, um, you know, we started working on that idea uh, and that's that's got us to where we are today. Um, and the same guy actually introduced me to Lucy, who you met when you were out here, uh, who runs an organization for uh, veterans with mental health challenges called True North. Um, and before before we moved, we thought, well, you know, what, what can we do to support each other? And that's where the running group came from. So we did uh, the Standard Chartered. That's the team for the Standard Chartered that we did in October. October um, you know, that largely came through through Lucy and, and trying to promote True North. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then eventually you ended up in, well, this place which you're in now, which I know very well. I had the pleasure yeah. of being there for a few days. Um, we even got Coach Simba to start um, kind of going back to school a little bit. <laughs> the other people. Um, so, yeah, so one of the reasons I got out there is because you seem, and one of the reasons, you know, I thought this is a great um, opportunity to help spread a good message is you seem very much into wanting to provide a kind of an evidence-based um, service, um, both in terms of coaching and uh, gait analysis and shoe recommendations. And I mean, I know that any therapist watching this will be familiar with the names of the courses and people that you've got involved with. I um, mean, you've chatted with Ian Griffiths, you've Craig Payne's online course, which is fantastic. Um, you're familiar with, um, yeah, a lot of you've been to see Brad Neal and uh, James Dunn with their course in London. So you're kind of the eternal students yourself. Um, what was it? I mean, when I came and delivered the course, we already knew that what we were going to do was basically what you'd read about and what you were kind of tuned into. But was there a, what was some of the things which you learned from the course, which made you think, yeah, that's what I need to let people here know. That's the service I want to provide. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, a lot, 
Yeah, for me, it's been a, the whole, the whole, it's, it's been a bit of a journey in my own running. Um, you know, I'm the, I'm your sort of typical recreational UK runner who, you know, would go out of his door, run, not warm up, not cool down, not do any strength exercises. Um, yeah, and, and personally sort of wanting to offer that, like you say, evidence based or, you know, just basically want to offer the best advice we can for, for runners. Um, yeah, got me doing my own research, got me doing, yeah, I did the UK athletics uh, coaching courses um, and, yeah, just, just starting doing my own strength training and seeing the difference that that made to me as a, you know, as, as, as certainly more for plodder than I am today. Um, yeah, suddenly feeling much stronger when I'm running, uh, you know, being more conscious of my own form and it's, it's sort of made my own running a much more exploratory uh journey um and uh you know certainly looking at making shoe recommendations and with the you know the, certainly the large amount of conflicting and you know non-conclusive evidence out there on what what is important uh you know uh for shoes i think the you know for me the the brooks white paper was quite that they, they published back in 2013 um you know around preferred pathways and, and stuff like that um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily translated yet into a great retail model, um, but it's certainly, you know, and I think the, ne the next photo, you, I know you'll come back and talk about uh, Hadi Gabrielassi, but, the, you know, the next photo that you've got from the, 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 from the white paper, um, you know, I, it was, it's quite influential on me in terms of, you know, what's important in a shoe and what's important in a, in a shoe recommendation um, and also how much uh you know people can be supported to improve or improve their running or reduce their injury risk by looking at other things you know much much more than just a shoe um so that's sort of where where, where we're coming from um were you, were you referring to the ian hunter shot of the olympic yeah. trial 10k one yeah i'll bring it up full here it's quite an amazing photo by ian hunter and um, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet yeah so we're looking basically at foot strike patterns of photos that he's captured uh, with the fastest men and women um, at the USA Olympics. It was 10K trials. And you can see from the names up here, I mean, we've got Galen Rupp there um, in the guys um, and on the women as well. I mean, looking at the times, these are elite athletes and the difference, the variety in, not just between the fact that they're not all, for example, landing on the forefoot, um, the fact they've all got shoes on. So that should quieten down the barefoot kind of uh, gurus a little bit. Um, but also the difference between a left foot and a right foot, you know, so it, it means that we can't, yeah, we've got to move away from this idea that um, one size fits all with certain shoes. And yeah, it's a great photo, which I think a lot of the course was based on. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the philosophy of, of trying to get the, the shoe that best matches the runner rather than to, to normalize, you know, we have to be in a shoe that normalizes somebody's running uh motion I, I i find a much more compelling philosophy um you know the challenge is how do you work with that in a retail setting at the moment because i don't think there is you know even if you look at what you know where brooks have taken it i think where they are today they've still you know they've still got a long way a long way to go to sort of realize um you know what the you know the approach that they've, the, that they've started down yeah no very tricky i think that's the crutch of the problem is um having a business model that's going to work because we know that the only research don't get me in too much trouble <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i think things are getting much better one of the great things about the 
barefoot explosion and the born to run is that now we haven't just got three types of shoes to choose from. There's a huge selection um, and runners are being given confidence that they do need to kind of potentially move back towards what the runners of the uh, kind of like 70s and 80s were wearing as long as you're strong enough. So that's the huge difference. Because like Coach Simba, I asked you um, off camera earlier on um, how much of a factor shoes were like 20 years ago when you were raising kind of world champions. Um, what? How did you decide what shoe an athlete back in, you know, for example, Kiprop, for example, Abel Kiprop, how did you decide what shoes were best for him? Uh, I was built Kiprop. Well, we didn't have uh, really special things for him, but then uh, while we were at the high altitude center in Elmerit, Adidas was the main sponsor of the camp. But later, when he excelled and got a manager, then he went into Nike. Yeah, it was not a matter of uh, getting special things for him. It was a matter of getting something better for him to train him or to train him. Thereafter, yeah. he, when he got uh, uh, more professional, then uh, then something special could have uh, come. But then um, there was not something special in the early days. It was just a matter of getting something good for, for the foot to train on. So what was it again? You said he moved from Adidas to Nike. What was it that made him? Was it he wasn't getting on with Adidas or was it just a sponsorship thing? Or Because the, the, the manager was, uh, he had a, maybe a contract with the Nike or something. So most of the athletes were using Nike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nike facilities. I do wonder sometimes. I mean, there's even... There's even some classic footage on on the YouTube of even runners who, I can't remember who it was now, it might be Mo Farah, but somebody who even lost a shoe halfway through a race and they've managed to still win just with one shoe on their foot. You know, and mm. I wonder how, you know, how much, how do that affects, you know, the shoe companies. If you win with just one shoe on and one bare foot, how does that kind of enter the equation? I personally still think that shoes have a relevance, but they're at the top of the pyramid. Okay, they're here at the top. First, you've got to have your strength and your loading and your training and your consistency and all that, you know, we're, and the shoe technology is going to come at the top. You can get injured in the wrong shoe, but you can get injured in any shoe. You know, we just don't know what causes it yet. So shoes are massively important, obviously. But um, there's so much that people need to uh, to look at before they think that shoe is going to solve their issues. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we digress onto shoes. So, um yeah, the gait analysis, George, we went with or you decided to go with uh, motion metrics in the end, which is the same as we use in Stride UK, which made it easier for me to kind of present it. Uh, but, yeah, how did you get on with motion metrics? Do you, you obviously you like the system. What was it you liked about it? Um, for me, it's the, it's the conversations that it, it opens up with the runner. Um, yeah, you're going back to your, your uh, pyramid, certainly you know, to a certain extent programming and loading but definitely when you're talking about uh, strength and conditioning and, and form um, 
you know, motion metrics is just a really great window into that discussion. Um, I don't think I've seen a better window into it. And I think the, the shot that you're putting up there with the, the triangle of elastic exchange, I think that's a real interesting change that they've made since I came and saw it in your, in your clinic last February. Um, you know, I think that opens up a really, uh, you know, good conversations about, about, um, you know, both form and strength. Um, but otherwise, how you know? It's how do you how do you make that real to someone? How do you make them understand? Um, you know, really, really the benefits of, of um, you know what they can get out of, out of strength. Um, you know, I love your your example of you know referring to running as a series of one-legged hops uh, and the pogo stick versus a slinky uh, analogy. I think I think they're good analogies, and I think motion metrics is a great you know it's the best way that I've seen to. to sort of have that conversation with a runner um, yeah, and like I say looking to do more yeah. than just prescribe a shoe you know how otherwise in a retail setting how do you get into that that conversation so for me the gait analysis is less around shoe prescription and more about you know how can you support a runner to to get more out of the sport either by performance or, or reducing their injury risk by looking at where the foot strike is or uh, you know particularly around overstriding rather than than uh, the type of foot strike um you know looking at how they can tweak their cadence in both directions you know not aiming not aiming for 180 if they've not got the strength uh um but also if they're very slow and plotty and and uh you would call them more of the tigger um yeah having a, having a conversation around how they can get a little bit more out of every stride by by perhaps trying to increase their cadence by by five ten percent yeah, fantastic. This is all music to my ears. You've picked it out very well. Well done, Grasshopper. It's been good. Um, and the people who are on the course as well seemed really tuned in with it. Yeah, the 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 elastic or the efficiency, it, it ties in really well. We were talking to Ian Griffiths a while ago on an episode back about how it is about concentrating less on the kinematics, less on what's happening visually in terms of movement and more on the forces are you able to to generate the necessary forces? Are the forces going to the right tissue, and so on? Which um, which makes gait analysis, I think, a lot more productive. Um, on the course, we spent some time comparing the classic um, kind of gazelle versus the glider scenario because that was filmed by Todd. Oh, I was trying to give this guy credits. It's been used in so many websites. But I can't remember his name. It was a bike fit, wasn't it? It was a yeah triathlete. But yeah, we looked at the um, differences between um, the, the the glider and the um, gazelle in terms of how some <clears throat> elite triathletes, in particular um, Ironmen, will um, have a high cadence and kind of looks like they haven't got much as much flight time, um, and they will still produce fantastic results. And then others tend to be the gazelles who will have a slightly lower cadence, um, still above 185 in, in the case of the elites uh, but they have much more flight time they'll be up in the air um, and we try to kind of show how this transfers to our recreational runners and if you are going to be a Miranda Carfrey or Christy Wellington it's not just a case of speeding up your cadence or slowing down your cadence you've got to get the strength you've got to make sure that every time your foot lands you're going to generate that force and actually fly through the air because without any flight time you're going to get to A to B in, in, in a fairly long time you want that free traveling through the airtime. So, yeah, it definitely um, helps promote strength training and plyometric strength training, having elastic strength, not just being big and strong, 
it's got to be running fitness, running strength. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that point got through. Um, Coach Simba, you mentioned it was early on. It's been on my mind. You mentioned for the for the um, shorter races, so moving away from marathons and half marathons, you were training athletes for upper body strength. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. Um, what do you think is your take? Is that something which becomes less important as you move to distance runners? Or is it still important for distance runners to have upper body strength? It's also important to have the body strength for the, for the long distance runners. And, um, well, as you can see, a long time back, the Kenyan athletes were more so in the endurance side of it. They forgot to work on their sprinting ability. And uh, some years later, people got closer to Kenyans because other people went and uh, tried to get the endurance and they had the sprinting ability with them. So when they could hold for some time, with a Kenyan, when it goes to the finishing, then uh, there it counts. If you don't have the strength to pump for the last few meters, you lose the rest. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely the distance runners can learn a lot from the sprinters in terms of, yeah, that perseverance, especially at the last sprint at the end. Um, right. I think my conversations I've had with, with Kate, um, yeah, his, I, I'd say you're very much in favour of people focusing on 1500 metres. You know, you, for you, the real runners are the 1500 metre runners, oh, and those guys yeah. will make it a marathon then, uh, rather than the people who try to shortcut it. And then grow from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Metres is the mother. It's the mother of uh, long distance because there you need endurance. You need the strength and you need the sprinting ability. But would you, so, so you say strength in the upper body. So mm -hmm. do you, would you advise distance runners to still be doing like upper body strength exercises like bench press and shoulder press and? Specific, specific exercises. Uh, you don't go developing uh, muscles that you don't uh, require because that will be an extra weight in the system. So you need to have the head there, you have to have the brain there to see that you're working on specific, specific uh, muscle structure that you'll need in your running. You well, don't I think I saw photos of you. Bodybuilder, because you, you don't want to be a nightclub uh, peacekeeper. <laughs> peacekeeper, is that what you call them? Um, yeah, I've seen photos of you with runners with kind of like pulling weights up hills and stuff like that. I guess when you're doing any form of all whole body strength exercise, you're developing the upper body, pumping the arms and developing mm. the core and everything anyway. So, yeah, like you say, specific strength training. Yeah, yeah that's even, great. That's, that's like mortal recreational runners. The, the way Cage does it, I find you know, fantastic. It's Because it's all... Um, yeah, it's all based around movement and uh, you know what what you do when you run, and it's not like it's not like you're you're going out and you're having to do a, 
you know, mentally going to the gym to lift weights or anything. Um, one of the favorites he does is he, he gets a power band, like a, one of the, one of the, you know, they're probably about a meter long. Elastic. Yeah, uh, elastic band. And they'll put two of us in it, and he'll make us run. Uh, you know, making sure we're or, keeping the knees high up in, op- in opposite directions. And uh, you know, we started doing it. With, what's, you know, what's this about? But you do that for forty-five seconds, and you can feel like. Yeah. It tests everything. Um, yeah, and skipping. Yeah. What skipping? Skip, you see, Kenyans, I think, particularly our generation, still skipped more at school. So they're all, mm-hmm. and Theresa and I, not so much. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there might that might be another factor why Kenyans are naturally better runners. You know, the skipping and the jumping, and the plyometrics and the bouncing. We know that's such an important factor with running. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that anyone watching this has to go and suddenly do twenty minutes of skipping because we know that you need to be foundationally strong before you can do that explosive stuff but if you're doing strength training then your end goal should be to incorporate skipping to incorporate your box jumps and your plyometric stuff so yeah that's all good stuff so i would like to have exercise that uh, you're moving and as well doing the weights not the something that uh, like pulling the weight mm. it's definitely acting on the on the muscles that you use while running uh, but when you come do press up uh, bench press uh, analyzing it you see that uh, there's some muscles that you're using that you're not supposed to okay but can you make you, you make us do a lot of plank yeah, that's 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 the core core exercises, and look at the core in a proper uh, state of uh, fitness. Then uh, the ability of your arms and the legs to move gets better. But yeah, if yeah, you, yeah. and you run, uh, you look beautiful when you run when you have a, a conditioned core muscle you don't yeah, yeah. Bending, you don't go running backwards mm-hmm. it's just there and you have the opportunity mm-hmm. of using the arms properly and the legs properly and these are the things that you need in your running i think in the uk particularly <clears throat> excuse me in the uk we suffered because um with the certain papers of from 2000 there was an explosion in core training suddenly meant kind of sucking your pelvic floor muscles and kind of all this kind of intricate intrinsic training. And now we realize that you can train your core by doing whole body exercises as well. And there's a place for obviously planks, but if you can add some movement to a plank, if you can add some leg movement, add some arm movement to make it more difficult. The problem we've got in the UK is we have people, we have plank challenges every January and, you know, people trying to do four minute planks, five minute planks, six minute planks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just creating rigidity instead of stability. You know, yeah. we need yeah. to use our cores when we're moving. That's running. We don't use our cores when we're just standing still in a straight line. So um, just mm-hmm. in case any runners there start trying to join in and doing six minute planks. Do you know what the world record for plank is? I don't know. Have a guess. Is it two hours? Four. <laughs> something like, I think last time I looked, it was something like four hours, 36 minutes. Oh, yeah, some US Marine smoking a cigar. 
God damn it, uh, if our boys in Afghanistan can do it, then I can do it too. And it was just a, but it just shows like, what's the point of doing a five minute play? Is he going to be a better runner? Mentally? Yeah, incredible. Mm. But anyway. But so, uh, more again to every exercise, everything that you do as an athlete, uh, you ought to have a professional eye seeing it to you because you can do something mm -hmm. that would without your knowing you're not doing it right and then um, it comes out negative but when you have a prop um, a professional eye taking care of you then you do the right thing yeah and that's, I think that's really important yeah yeah um yeah having that extrinsic feedback someone watching you and guiding you and telling you because you can't yeah. see yourself can you yeah and same goes when you're running. Yeah. No, yeah, wonderful. You know, there's uh, kind of coaching in telephone. Mm. Uh, you're the athlete. Uh, say, it's, oh, coach, I, I did uh, the 200 and uh, 22, oh, blah, 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 blah. But how did you get that time? How, how were you? How did you use the arms? How were you, you know? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone to be there to see, because you can be a distance away. When you come to meet, you see a different person. Mm. Now, getting to chop and do this, then mm. it's better. I would advise people to be close to each other, the coach and the athlete. Wonderful uh, words. And distant yeah. coaching. Okay, how do, you, how do you feel about working with the recreational runners that we've got in our group as opposed to working with uh, with elites? Um, do you find that we listen more, listen less? Can we? Do you see? Do you see us changing? I know consistency is an issue because at the moment yeah, we're only once a week. But... At, the, at the moment, I haven't got. Uh, <laughs> it, I'm trying to learn from you people. <laughs> to to get you <laughs> to see that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, after that, then I'll come up with my recipe. Brilliant. Yeah. I just, come up oh, God, I miss. I just miss our morning conversations like this. The few days I was over in Nairobi because we had the pleasure of staying with your family, George. And this is the sort of stuff he was coming out with when I was standing at like half past six in the morning on on your balcony and at the front door. And he'd be sitting on that balcony. No, but I mean on that kind of, oh, it's just, and then, yeah. then he, Coach Simba would come out with words of wisdom like this, and it was just like oh, the trees, the birds, Coach Simba giving me this philosophy, and it was just complete. I haven't felt the same since, I'm afraid. I last I'm trying to get Ian Griffiths to come out, so I hope he's watching. <laughs> There's a plug for Ian, yeah, and no, I'm glad he's um he, he had that call. He's really good, really good, really good. Okay, so um let's finish up what we got. Ten minutes left. There we go, Amberselli National Park. So one of the other great. I had this dilemma, didn't I, when I was over there of either going to Eldorat and seeing kind of the elites train, or going to Amberselli and getting a photo of a giraffe for my little boy. So um, obviously this time around, I had to go for the safari. So I'm sorry, diehard runners, but I missed out on opportunity. But we had some fun there. It was interesting um, when we arrived at kind of one o'clock in the morning because the journey was slightly 
took slightly longer. <laughs> I can't think why the journey took longer than we planned. It might have had something to do with maybe the vehicle we were traveling. I don't know. But we still managed to have some food. Um, and we got the picture of the giraffe for my son, which is exactly the one I gave him. So that was my job done. And then things got a little bit interesting, didn't they? With like, oh, we saw some elephants. Beautiful. More of them later on. And then there were some dilemmas, George, which made me realise yeah, how you yeah. managed to set up a company in Kenya and kind of have with your patience and determination. What we can see there, obviously, is a kind of a nice four-wheel drive vehicle crossing a slightly broken, flooded bridge. Um, there's some more four-wheeled vehicles with a stress on four-wheel drive crossing the water. George, you seem to believe that we could do that in a two-wheel <laughs> in a Nissan. Yeah, I, well, I would have said, I, I, yeah, we could have made it through that puddle. But as you know, I drove my, my other car into a puddle yesterday and have, have possibly ran it up. So I'm not. Maybe, maybe you made the right call on that. But the engine's nice and high on this, and we would have been fine. You still reckon we should have done it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, all, all I'm saying is one of the tracks would have got us out. If, if, <laughs> after the it first was, meeting. I mean, that, that wasn't the... That wasn't the one of the most interesting i mean there was you still determined looking at the water thinking we can do this we can do this it's ridiculous um and then yeah then we had the episode with the elephants didn't we yeah where we had kind of like one in front and three behind and and you couldn't actually see we were stuck on a bridge um in between this swamp land and because you were on the passenger side then you couldn't see how much room there was down my side for the well, elephants. I, I was, yeah, that's the, the most scared I've been. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that was them. That was one of them passing our window, which gave you a brief idea of how big these mothers were. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was when you said to me, um, I honestly don't know what we should do. <laughs> you had no idea. There's me miles away from my family and my wife with my guide on safari. <laughs> and he's there just pricking himself, saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Come on, just come back. <laughs> Fortunately, they moved on eventually. Yeah. Uh, because it wasn't just that. It was, fine. it was fine after that, right? We didn't have any more problems. We had no more problems after that at all. Um, fortunately, we didn't get pushed into the swamp where there was a bison. Is when you said to me, the main problem, Matt, is if they push us into the swamp, the Not animal there. that's most responsible for deaths on safari is waiting there for us, watching us. And there was a bison in the swamp just like watching, sitting out a picnic, waiting for us to land in the water. Yeah, we went off road later on and, and got stuck in the sand and had to dig ourselves out. I still don't quite understand how we can be outside the van for half an hour trying to dig sand out when there's lions and hippos around us. I don't understand the dynamics of a safari still. Yeah. And every time we got out of the van, there was one point we got out of the van to, you got a table out and some chairs and we started eating some, um, what was it? It was like, yeah, uh, yeah, it was lovely. And and you said, yeah, it's fine, even though I could see kind of animals moving around towards us. Uh, yeah. The security didn't seem to agree with you, did they, George? No, they weren't But... <laughs> They don't like people coming out of safari, getting out of their vans, do they, when you've got lions around? Yeah, it's interesting. But, yeah, we had a great time. It was amazing. Um, and it was all part of my Run Beyond experience. It was fantastic. And, um, yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's 10.25. It's uh, 55 minutes of shot by. 
Um, I'm really looking forward to people being able to watch this on the recording. It will go up onto YouTube and my website, supportingdramatic.co.uk. It will be available on Facebook um, after this finishes as well as a recording. Um, Co Simba, thank you in particular to you for your words of wisdom. And thank you for for, um, joining Run Beyond in your coaching capacity to help George uh, set out what I think is a very exciting um, and very altruistic that's the main thing i remember we were kind of talking about george behind his back on his juliet balcony and just saying how much how lovely it was working with somebody who wasn't in for it you know there's so much pressure these days to do it for the money for the fame and it was obvious just after five minutes of talking to george that the whole project and company is just to help east african runners have access to running you know, because not all Africans are elite runners. There's a, lots of them can't go out because it's dangerous. They haven't got access to the information. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just altruism in its best. Do you think that's a good way of summing up George Coach Simba, Mr. Altruist? Well, I, I would have added, but I do hope that we can pay some bills with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's your wife talking. And if I lose all our savings, yeah, Teresa ain't going to be too that's happy. Teresa. That's the Teresa voice in your head. Yeah, but what drives you, I believe, yeah, will help is, um, yeah, you're not doing it just for the money, basically. You're doing it because, yeah, your passion is running, obviously, and you just want to, uh, yeah, spread the good words. So any other words before we uh, go our ways once again? Uh, From me, I would want to let everybody trust himself, believe in himself and be what he wants to be. God, again, I've got <laughs> hairs on the back of my neck just standing up. I'm going yeah. out for a run later. Jesus, I'm going to make Asbel Kip-Pop look like nothing. I'm going to be 1,500 meters yeah. like this, just thinking of well, your words. When I, when I, when you go to, to um, when we came together with uh, Asbel Kip-Pop, this was after he could not make it to, but was it Berlin or where was it? Uh, Beijing? Beijing Junior. He, he could not make it. He was number three, number four. But I saw that there was something there that needed to be a bit of panel beating and adding some new kind of thing. Yeah. And work on the copywriter. And there he was, 206, 207, a world champion. Cross country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, and much of that. Now, if you come to Kenya and try to find where are these other three who beat Kipro, where are they? This is number four, top of the world. Where are these other three? You know. Yeah, yeah. Sure, uh, maybe the training. Uh, they only picked for that competition. They didn't think of making them themselves a complete athlete. Mm. Complete thing to be there today, tomorrow, and day after. That's the beauty of uh, being yeah. a sport. Yeah. Well, follow that, George. What are you going to say? <laughs> Good to see you, Matt. <laughs> How do you follow that up? Yeah. Um, I I appreciate uh, 
yeah, your willingness to come out um, and be part of this um, and share your your uh, experience and knowledge. Um, you know, this is uh, for me. This whole project is, you know, I, I, it's not a George Parks project. I've had phenomenal support from, uh, you know, I think I told you Shankara Smith at uh, Run and Become, um, and one of her staff, Helena Laxo, came out and did did a retail training with us. Um, you know, people like Ian Griffiths, like you say, have been willing to 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 engage and and, and help support us. Um, yeah, find our way through what's a real real sort of confusing. Um, uh, you know, mass of information and and advice and philosophies to get through to to find something that I think is hopefully gonna gonna work and uh, and add value. So you know, I I appreciate the time that, that you you spent coming out here and leaving your family at home. And uh, I hope hope next time we'll bring you, you you'll all come out. Yeah, again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just me. No, I'm joking. Okay. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? That'd be great. All right. Well, wicked gentlemen, thank you very much, um, Asante Sana, for everything. And um, I'm going to whip you two off the screen now and just say goodbye to everyone else who's watching or watching the recording. So, again, thank you very much, you two. It's been a pleasure. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, well, we'll do a follow up on this in a few months time once your doors are officially open. And, um, yeah, we'll see how things are going along and we'll hear about your continued PBs. Okay, guys. Thank Cheers. you very much. <laughs> right then. So another hour leaves. Um, yeah, finishes. Um, so um, those of you watching um, live, thank you very much for your comments. Lucy, thank you very much. Um, great to hear from you again. Um, if you're watching the recording, um, then if you're watching on YouTube, then obviously like and subscribe as you as you always see um we um are thinking about potentially putting this out as a podcast as well i'm chatting to somebody about that um obviously you wouldn't have the the visual um but you just have the mp3 version but um i think if we change a few things in the format then that would be a worthwhile uh, project to get involved in as well because the feedback has been great not so much sunday 9 30 in the morning but for people listening in their own time in the car or it seems like some of the information that we're putting out there is actually getting through which is why we do it so um, the most important thing, again, just a reminder, if you do enjoy what we said, if you've enjoyed what Coach Simba has said, his words of wisdom, if you enjoyed um, George Parks and the whole project and the ethos and everything, then do please kind of like the video and share it with your friends. Get the word out there. Um, uh, yeah, because that's what makes it possible. None of us get paid for this. These guys you've just seen, all the guests do it for free. It's just to try and get the information out. That's what we do. Um, so once again, thank you very much. Hopefully, oh, next Sunday, oh, big, big man next Sunday. Well, not a big man. He's quite short. But yeah, keep in tune with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and you'll see who's on next week uh, for our last episode before Christmas. Right. 10.30. Thank you very much again to uh, George and Coach Simba. And um, we'll see you next week. Thank you and goodbye. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.